It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Welcome back to another edition of American Loser, folks. Uh, we're actually allowed to say where we're at today. We uh, are. Yeah, so that voice behind the ones and twos, as always, the sound engineer, one of the producers of the show, an integral part of the show. You guys know him as the Big Kahuna. Uh, I know him by his legal name, which we are not allowed to give out on this show. No government names allowed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are allowed to say where we're at today at a shared universe uh, podcast studio. We are not at an undisclosed location this one time. Yeah, we're, we're not we're, inside a volcano. We're legal to be here this time. Uh, Mike and Ming taking great care of us, as always, here in Eatontown, New Jersey. Uh, we hope you guys are doing okay out there. It's been fun to be back in the studio. It's been fun to be putting these back out. And I uh, just want to say thank you to everybody who's said it's uh it's a return to normalcy to have our show to listen to means a lot to me so um anyway that being said guys uh as you recall if you don't know about this show i'm a new jersey-based comedian uh the kahuna is yeah, the, at least i was before back in the long <laughs> long ago the before times you mentioned <laughs> i do not think i know of these yeah there's a cave painting of me hanging out with dave attell somewhere um <laughs> oh, an, an alternate future <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, we're excited. Uh, the show is um, me and my Dilf of a dad. Uh, we Each week we would dive into a topic from American history that is either someone who comes out as a loser or maybe some lesser known history. And they're a loser because they're not well known. I do miss the guy. Yeah, me too. He's, uh, he's stranded down in... Oh, hang on. Hey, wait a minute. Uh-oh. Is there... Kev? Th- there's... Kev is... KP, you there? Kahuna? God. Oh, man. Hey. He sounds right there. It's... Oh, wait. He is next to us. <laughs> He's back, ladies and gentlemen. It's LP from a secret undisclosed location. <laughs> a, fish... <laughs> a fishing trawler in international waters. <laughs> Going back to the pirate radio days. Oh, man. Let me tell you, it's great to have you back. Well, <laughs> let's say this. Uh, Snake Plissken escaped from L.A. and New York. Larry Burke escaped from there South Florida. <laughs> Escape How from South Florida. Escape from L.A. We don't bring up that movie. That is my favorite one, actually. Get out of here. I'll explain it to you later. If you view it as the satire it was intended as, that's a great movie. Oh, okay. Fine. This is an argument for another day. But it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got uh, Welcome Back, Dad. Happy to have you here. Happy uh, to be here. Happy the, to be uh, here. You know, I'm sure our Patreon is going to go up now because uh, that... that a voice that can uh, cut butter, as uh, I've had. <laughs> cut butter. Yeah. That's right. So, um, anyway, but uh, I'm happy to have you back here. Thank you to everybody who supports the Patreon. We uh, are ecstatic. This is our last episode for the month of uh, May, right? So this one's going to be coming out on uh, the Tuesday after Memorial Day. I'm actually going to probably leak this on Memorial Day. You'll see why once we get into the topic. However, that being said, folks, um, we do have the Patreon episode, which will be dropping our first Patreon exclusive and if you guys want to know about the wild story of the Rosenbergs, then we ask for just a minimum of a $5 donation towards the show. We do not make any money off of this show. It is all lost to further deepen the pockets of Mike and Ming, the 1% of podcasting. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, I, uh, I, I got to just keep my mouth shut on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Kahuna takes his half. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, half. Half. 
That's wishful thinking, my friend. <laughs> the vig, the vig. That's right, the action. Kahuna takes the vig. At the end of the day, all Jersey businesses are run like Tony Soprano runs it in front of a pork store in Newark. But, um, I mean, isn't that where we are? Uh, yes, we, we are out front of Satrials. That's where we're at right now, guys. So, um, But, yeah, again, the uh, any donations you guys give to us, it helps me offset the cost so I can keep doing the show. I don't want to... I don't want to stop doing this one. I need to be able to afford it. Um, and I'm not sure President Trump would be ecstatic that the stimulus check was spent on a podcast. <laughs> so, But uh, anyway, we're going to move forward. LP, you and my – we've been waiting for this guy here. All right? Uh, Indeed we have. Indeed now, we have. I'm a Navy veteran, and you raised me in a household that was very appreciative of uh, the armed forces. Uh, my grandfather on mom's side fought in uh, World War II. Um, and then uh, – uh, I actually, you know, we don't know. We don't talk about it too, too much. But on my dad's side of the family, uh, they fought for um, Iraq during the Second Iraq War. Uh, we're we're in ISIS. Yeah, <laughs> but was Uncle uh, Polly in the services? <laughs> no, we're going to his house for dinner after yeah, this. The Great Newark Wars. <laughs> I'm teasing here, but we got a a fantastic episode, uh, a Memorial Day special, in a to a degree for you here. Now, this gentleman, um, I don't want to give anything away. Uh, he's a military man, all right, a pretty badass dude. But when you come up with a badass name for a character, you're a creative guy, Kahuna. Um, it well, usually, define creative. It's a, <laughs> uh, typically, these names have to ooze with a sense of machismo. So I'm going to say a couple of names for what we said one of them before. The most badass name you can think of, Snake Plissken. Yes. <laughs> all right. Another badass name, John McClane. You know you're in for uh, you know some nonsense when John McClane is involved. So of course, and then uh, additionally, another like an, an example of a badass name would be like like Tug Rockington or something like that, you know, or Christian Cordes. I mean, whatever you want to come up with. Um, it's uh, these are just names we're coming up with on the fly. Rock'em sock'em <laughs> robot, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, those are all examples. The name you would never land on for a true badass dude, though, uh, would be something along the lines of. Smedley Darlington Butler. Hmm. Smedley. The butler did it. Exactly. <laughs> this butler has a mind of his own, Kahuna, as we're going to find out. Um, now, despite having a name that sounds like he should be tying an innocent woman to a railroad tracks. <laughs> um, <laughs> Snidely Whiplash and Smedley Butler. That's right. Uh, Smedley Butler, who uh, is good friends with Muth and Squirrel. <laughs> Um, and yet a man with that exact name of Smedley Darlington Butler is a two-time Medal of Honor winner and at the time of his death was the most decorated Marine in U.S. history. Awarded 16 medals in total, five for heroism, over a 34-year career in the United States Marine Corps. Our boy Smed, as we're going to call him for the duration. Yeah. <laughs> He uh, may have had a less than intimidating name, but when you earn a nickname such as Old Gimlet Eye, I think people understand you're, uh, you're no softy. You right? also sound you're... like you should be racing against Dick Dastardly, but that's a that's whole other. Right. <laughs> Do you think Old Gimlet Eye is really going to sit there and want to talk about the necessity of a safe space? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, another nickname of Smed's was the hilarious but also terrifying handle of, I'll let you say this one, Dad. No, go ahead. Go ahead. The Fighting Quaker. The Fighting Quaker, yeah. So, Sounds like a real hand grenade of fun. Uh, that is correct. And if you want to uh, – there's no wilder way I can think to phrase this, Cahoons, than any story that starts out in peaceful Quaker country and ends in five rows of medals on a Marine Corps uniform 
Uh, there's some left-hand turns in this story. <laughs> so without further ado, uh, Smedley Butler, folks. Um, born July 30th, 1881 in Westchester, Westchester Pennsylvania. Uh, Jackass fans will note that is the hometown of one Bam Margera. What will he do next? <laughs> Definitely name my kid Smedley because I hate him. That's a, oh man, that would be it. Smedley Margera. Jesus. Right. Boy named Sue. His Boy parents didn't Smedley. like him. So- <laughs> his parents didn't like him so much they didn't even show up to his own birth. Oof, uh, Jesus. Um, Smed is born. Uh, he's a descendant of Quakers. LP, briefly, what are Quakers? Well, it was a, a religious uh, faction or belief that, you know, they were nonviolent. They were nonviolent uh, beliefs that they were the last to uh, put forth a, a warrior hero, if you will. Oh, yeah. And Washington hated the Quakers, by the way. George hated them because they would not support the revolution. So the, the Quakers have been here for a long, long time. Um, now, I thought this was worth mentioning, too. The family is entirely of English heritage, and his father was a well-known lawyer and politician who would serve in uh, various capacities in presidential administrations. Uh, Lou's reception time, and one of many, I might add, Lou's reception, he served in the administration of one Warren G. Harding. So uh, what was the name of the scandal for old Warren G. dead? Uh, teapot Dome. Teapot Dome. Yep. You know it, sir. Uh, if it was Bill Clinton, it would have been Teapot Doomy. Oh, my so, God, um, why? Had to sneak it in. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Smed is a solid athlete, makes the captain of the baseball team and the quarterback of his football team. Good for him. Yeah, you know no. why? Because who in their right mind would assume someone named Smedley would be good at anything? That's <laughs> one of the best roast jokes I've ever heard against me in roast battles at uh, the stand was in the semifinals of the tournament. Paul Hooper, uh, was I was going against him. Hilarious comic, by the way. And the, this is up on YouTube for uh, from, posterity. From... <laughs> <laughs> um, but he says, uh, he goes, K.P. Burke, the name conjures up the image of a college football quarterback, when really he's just an open micer with a fat back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which man. hurt because my back is the only part of me that's not covered in fat. I have a pretty solid looking back. It's because I lift weights improperly. Um, <laughs> but uh, get this one. What were you doing? Uh, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll ask my father this one. Uh oh. Larry Burke, what was Kevin Patrick Burke doing uh, 38 days before his 17th birthday? 38 days before his 17th birthday? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to remember that? I feel like in jail. So I, would <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's the only appropriate response to a question like that. What was I doing 38 days before my 17th birthday? <laughs> Probably saying prayers that he graduates high school, I would think. But uh. We knew I was going to graduate. It, th- that was the wild thing for me in high school was uh, social studies, like history, anything like that. Anything that – English, anything that I was interested in, usually got A's in. Math, straight D's, I think. Because <laughs> yeah. you just couldn't get me yeah. to give a shit about numbers. He so. was the minimalist in things that did not interest him. <laughs> You know it. Um, But uh, I know for a fact I wasn't – I mean, I I know that I wanted to join the National Guard. I knew that. And then I wound up going into the Navy when I was 19. Um, However, uh, old Smed, he decided that uh, he was going to join the military around that age. Now, you pointed this out to me, Dad. You knew that he actually – the Marines where he wound up and became a goddamn legend um, is not exactly his first choice on branches. Yeah, well, things are things are heating up here too uh, with the whole uh, Spanish-American uh, uh, war. Um, so, Smedley is not yet seventeen. He tries to enlist in the army and then the navy, but they wouldn't have him because he's too young. So then he goes and lies to it about his age, and uh, with 
some of uh, Daddy's influence. I guess he was name dropping that you know my dad, the congressman. Um, maybe I would want to join the Marines, and they accept him into the into the Marines. And then the uh, the war starts uh, in Cuba with the Spanish American War, and he is immediately bum rushed into the officers' corps uh, and receives a whopping 21 days. 21 days of officer training in uh, the middle of Washington, D.C., in their, in their barracks within uh, Washington, D.C. How long did Ming train you before you could take over the ones and twos, Cahoons? Two hours. Two hours. <laughs> All right, so you got bum-rushed the same way old Smed got ran through Marine Corps <laughs> officer school. Oh, man. Yeah, I found so that Some pretty... Steve Dave fans might agree with you, too. <laughs> I found it interesting, too, there, man, because I know that um, – you know, the enlisted men uh, during the Second World War would often refer to their second lieutenants as 90-day wonders. That You got this college kid that has now given 90 days worth of officers' training school, and they became known as 90-day wonders. And well, Smedley is now a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps with a whopping 21 days worth of officer training. But again, that was uh, just the the conditions or the situation of the of the military as— America was entering into the Spanish-American War. Our, our military forces were, to say diminished, would be polite. Well, uh, that, that's fair, too. Now, the, the key here that um, we have to just try to give the zeitgeist, which is, uh, for, for regular listeners, that is the word we taught my father. That's um, it. <laughs> German for spirit of the times, zeitgeist uh, for this particular case is going to be, as my dad mentioned, the, uh, there's some stuff going on with Spain. Spain is an empire in decline. Uh, a former world power that uh, has kind of been mismanaging some of its funds, maybe overstretched itself a little bit. Really, if you look at history, um, there's a couple countries that speak English, right? There's a ton of countries that speak Spanish. So because Spain got out of the game early on being an imperial power, they kind of get laid off. uh, They don't get uh, hit quite as hard on some of the the imperialism evils uh, that get launched onto uh, other countries. But Spain, these are still tough dudes. This is not an easy fight here. But there's this little island right off the coast of uh, Miami, if you will, and it's, uh, it's garnering attention. It's had America's attention since Thomas Jefferson, by the way. That's how early on it was that, that Cuba, anybody who wanted to invade America could foreseeably do it by launching an invasion from Cuba. So um, that being said, our president at the time uh, is McKinley, okay? An interesting fact about McKinley is that as we covered, um, he was ran by Carnegie, Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan, and they outspent uh, his opponent, lose reception, William Jennings Bryan, three to one. So they pretty much McKinley, who was the governor of Ohio, later on gets assassinated by Leon Sholgosh, lose reception. Um, is Smedley our winter soldier? Like, is he just going to accidentally just show up throughout all the episodes? Oh, wow. That's that quality. Done? Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. But uh, That's quality. He's certainly living through the times of uh, many of our previously mentioned the losers for sure the the key too is that this stuff gets skipped over in history class a lot that's why i wanted to cover this one too because some of the wars that smet's about to go fight in i didn't know they existed until i did the research and i've been a fan of this shit my whole life (laughs) so um so yeah mckinley is the president here and because he's adhering to the interests of big business there's a lot of money to be made and a lot of resources down in central america south america even mexico stuff like that um, more lose receptions to come on that. However, by uh, joining the Marines, as my father said, and lying about his age, uh, he's now able to get over there and start kicking a little ass in this war. He's excited, man. Young man wants to prove himself. 
out on the battlefield arrives in a little town in Cuba known as Guantanamo Bay. All right. Gitmo, as we would call it. Tiny town. Yep. Uh, Gitmo had already been invaded and captured from the Spanish earlier, so Smed didn't get to see too much action. Spends the remainder of the war on board the USS New York. Uh, unfortunately for Smed, some hard ass known as Teddy Roosevelt was uh, doing all the ass kicking with his Rough Riders <laughs> up on San Juan Hill. He was kicking ass and chewing bubble gum, but he ran out of bubble gum. <laughs> That's right. And it, regular listeners of the show will know what is what is the greatest lesson in American history. Say it with me, folks. <laughs> Don't, Don't fuck, fuck with, with TR. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, uh, Smed is stateside soon after the war, and his military service ends for about a month until he grabs a spot now as a first lieutenant. So, Dad, you're saying 90-day wonders, 21-day uh, wonders. Imagine jumping up to first LT, and you only pretty much had maybe nine months in the military at Yeah, that he point. had a very rapid advance um, by, his own, by his own um, qualities and also, I think, because of some of the— uh, paternal uh, influences in Congress. He's called a 21-day wonder, you said? No, he, he wasn't called that. I'm saying during the Second World War, there was a term called 90-day wonders. Ah. And here's... When do my... they write the song, That Thing You Do? <laughs> <laughs> well, in another song would be uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, It Ain't Me, I Ain't No Senator's Son. Right. <laughs> well, old Smed was certainly a senator. And that came up in conversation a lot. And it, it actually helped his career and also hurt it later on as we're going to... i got to stop with the revelant references. This is oh, really dude. hurting me. It's a <laughs> we are knee-deep in references on this one. You know it's getting serious, too. My dad just took his coat off. He's like, oh, crap. That's we're getting into this. <laughs> That's right. We're stripping down the fighting weight here. That's right. <laughs> um so by the end, it's going to look like blood sport with Van Dam. Yeah, I can um, take him. Here, hold my coat. <laughs> uh, Just move my foot one foot and I'm good. Put down the bunny. <laughs> so, um, no, Smed is, uh, he's still in the, you know, he, he obviously makes this uh, this jump up and out of first lieutenant. He's excited here. Now, unfortunately, much to the chagrin of William Jennings Bryan, who was a member of the Anti-Imperialist League, the show of power, if you will, around this time frame was uh, France and Germany and, uh, well, I mean, Germany to a degree, and uh, England all had colonies, right, that they were able to, and that was how you showcased that you were a world power. So in America's ambition to be seen as a, uh, a heavyweight fighter in the division of, you know, first world powers, uh, we now had our hands to a degree on Cuba and a couple other things uh, coming from uh, our victory against the Spanish. One of those things we acquired was, Dad, little rainy island chain full of Manny Pacquiao's, the Philippines. Oh, oh, the Philippines. Yeah, well, that was at the at the at the, uh, at the peace accord, if you will, at the conclusion of the Spanish-American War. We now get Guam, we get the Philippines, uh, we get Puerto Rico. Um, I think that was it. No, it was Guam, before. by the way, which uh, my my cousin Mike did some time. Uh, deployed in Guam with the Seabees. Oh, I'm glad you said deployed. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Not just yeah. did some time. No, it's, uh, <laughs> and um, also any any friends I had, because I tried to get stationed in Guam first with the Navy because the USS Frank Cable is out there. And that was a great port if you were a hull technician like me, because those ships needed HTs the most. That's where you really got to learn your rate. I requested that and they screwed up my order. So I didn't get sent out to Guam. Uh, I was told Guam gets Hawaiian weather, uh, which was is awesome in the, the nice part of the year. Uh, and in the rainy part of the year, you just want to shoot yourself the entire time. Mm -mm. And another friend of mine explained to me uh, when he came back from over there, he just goes, he goes, KP, it is, um, it's pretty much just strip clubs over there. That's all it is. <laughs> it's, 
you know, and there is a, you know, certainly no height requirement on that island either. <laughs> Kahuna and my father would be greeted as kings over there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we acquired the, the Philippines. That's the specific one we're going to go into here. Right. Um, Who's the big Kahuna now? <laughs> also, I just want to point out, this dude looks like a smedley. Oh, yeah. He looks like he talks like... I think we should go over here and like he. he oh, I don't see that one. I don't see any, dude. You got to see the picture of him with the mustache. He grows a badass mustache. Oh, he's got a badass mustache. And once you hear about this, you can't. Maybe because I know too much, I can't give him a wimpy voice just based off no, the wild no shit voice. that he does. Are you serious? Oh my, he puts, he puts almost every action hero to shame with some of the stuff that he pulls off. Um, Damn, I'm, I'm, I got it cut out for me with this casting couch crap. It's going to be a fun one. I'm curious where you're going with him. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a wiry guy, but he's no Barney Fife, that's for sure. No. <laughs> no. Um, so Smed is uh, hes going to get sent over now to the Philippines. The Philippines are one of the strangest places on earth, by the way. Uh, Filipino people are, I mean, the food is fantastic. And there's the Filipino mafia in the United States Navy to this day. There's a very proud uh, heritage thing for that where, you know, some kids go off to trade school or college. Filipinos, te- they tend to join the Navy. That's like a big thing for them. And uh, again, the food is fantastic. The culture's fantastic. But this is, you know, imagine going to the Philippines and be like, hey, by the way, we're America. You've never heard of us before, um, but we are in charge now. <laughs> Not really going to go over too well. So, uh, yeah, yeah Philipp- this is our stuff now. <clears throat> exactly. The backstory on the Philippines, too, is that they were a Spanish possession and they were already rebels in the hills, if you will, fighting against the Spanish. Now the Spanish gave up the Philippines to the U.S. at the conclusion of the Spanish-American War. But the rebels haven't gone away. They're still fighting mm-hmm. whoever is trying to colonize them, right, or, or control them. I just picture Spain sitting there like, oh, yeah, you can have that money pit of ours yeah, over that's there. Yeah, been, that's been problematic for us mm-hmm. all along. But There's a reason the French just left. It's, <laughs> it, But it's strategically important because of its position within the Pacific. So, And would come to be paramount for World War II, exactly. which we have some topics on for later days. Right. Um, at uh, the onset of this uh, engagement over here, the... Uh, uh, Smed is going to finally see his combat action in the town of uh, Novaleta, okay? Which I'm not bad with my pronunciations. A lot of Spanish girls have told me I'm good for a white boy. Um, but uh, if I'm screwing these up, I apologize. Novaleta, uh, and they face a form of uh, the rebels were known as the insurrectos, okay? And yeah, and, and let's keep in mind now, too, that um, old Smedley here is now an 18-year-old lieutenant. That's the thing. You when when I am reminded of his age at the specific times of his life when these real, um, you know, time slows down, if you will, and he has his matrix moments. Yeah. Um, it gets a little intense to remind yourself that this guy was, uh, you know, we probably he wasn't legally allowed to buy beer in the modern United States, um, and he's doing shit like this. So, um, now I thought this was worth mentioning too. Uh, at the onset of this engagement in the town of Novaleta against the insurrectos. Uh, almost in the first couple of minutes, Smed loses his first sergeant. You understand the idea of a first sergeant Absolutely. and a rookie officer, right. how important that dynamic is? The guy that's had any experience and the first sergeant is... Exactly. Right. You know? So, uh, you know, you're, you're headlining for your first time and the host of the show isn't there. <laughs> and you're just like, wait a minute, I have to he- host and headline now? This is... Right. What the hell? Right. But anyway, uh, he loses the first sergeant 
and then begins to panic. But only for a couple of minutes, Smith kind of uh, looks himself in the mirror, if you will. <laughs> yeah, gathers himself. Yep, and then successfully leads his men in taking the town. He loses a single Marine, okay? Just one guy is lost. Still too many, depending on, obviously, Smith later on in his life, too, would say that one is too many. Um, a couple of his men were wounded, and 50 of them dropped from the humid weather, all right? So when my drill instructors in boot camp said hydrate, that's when you hydrate. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> so... But Smed is now combat tested, starts rocking a bitching mustache, okay? And anyone who knows my father knows what a bitching mustache <laughs> looks like. We don't talk about it much. I'm adopted, okay? And uh, the only time I ever get angry about being adopted is when I realize I can't grow the mustache that my father has, all right? Because anytime I grow it, it comes in like peach fuzz. And I look like, yeah. I grow a mustache like Michael Rappaport grows a mustache. <laughs> This medley uh, also uh, adorns himself with uh, another little accompaniment. Yeah, did you get into that? I, I did, and I, I'm going to ask Kahuna this one first. Is it uh, just me, or does Medley kind of look like Popeye, or am I kind of bugging out? Uh, they both kicked some ass, so <laughs> you ain't wrong on that. I, I would say you're not wrong. Faces carved out of granite, kind of a, a thing that he has there. Now I'm going to ask you this one, Kahuna. Do you know anybody in the Marines? Uh, no. Okay. I don't actually. Very common for. Marines to get um, the Marine Corps insignia tattooed on them. Okay, the, do you know the insignia? If you mm, want, no, it's, it's an not. eagle, globe, and anchor. It's it's one of the coolest. And this is being said as a United States sailor. Um, it's probably the coolest symbol. All right, I, it pains me to say that. And the running joke is that um, we always say uh, that the Marines get paid by the Navy because that's what their paychecks say, Department of the Navy. And then my buddy James Cleary would always say, "Yeah, the Men's Department." <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, and then there's a nice rivalry back and forth with those guys. But the Marine dudes uh, and Navy guys tend to get a shitload of tattoos. Now, uh, Old Smed is no different. He's going to get the Eagle Globe and Anchor tattooed on him. Where would you think would be a good spot for this tattoo, Kahuna? Uh, a good spot? Like, do you, where? Location. Where? Oh, yeah. okay. On your body. Where are you putting it? Maybe in my back? Okay, a little thing, something on your back. I have a tattoo of Ireland on my right shoulder blade. I got a tattoo on my left uh, bicep, if you will. And uh, I like those because uh, if you wear a shirt, you can hide them. Now, technically, if Smed wears a shirt, he can hide his as well. But, Dad, where does his tattoo start and where does it end? Starts at the neck and ends at, uh, well, the, the bottom of the belly. And we'll, we'll be polite. But yeah, so a, a his full, full chest. throat serious? Throat to yeah. belly button. Yeah. Eagle globe and anchor tattoo. Go, wow. Go ahead and tell him he's a nerd, Kahuna. <laughs> All right. right. Go I'll tell that guy he's a nerd. <laughs> right. That is wild looking. So he's got an absolute badass tattoo here. Um, now, unfortunately, um, as I was saying... Uh, no, he, go on. God damn it, Larry. Hey, Jeff Garlic, shut the fuck up. Don't you ever call me during a show again. <laughs> so I hope he listens, all right? And actually, you know what, Jeff? Uh, $10 minimum for you on Patreon. You understand me? You don't get nothing for five no uh, more. You know what? Sorry, we can guys. actually set that. <laughs> if he enters his name... It'll just $10 automatically. That, that was my, my bad for having it on. It's okay. That was and my dad's going increase every month. Well, let's, uh, I like that too. <laughs> now, of course, another Marine Corps tradition is being a belligerent drunk. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Smith has a couple instances with alcohol here. Um, he gets, uh, he's bored, all right? He's, um, he's bored overseas. Um, he winds up getting uh, a, He's boozing a little bit. He's drinking like a legend for the most part. There's actually even a story that he was once temporarily relieved of command uh, due to an uh, incident that just kind of got 
Um, no further information provided. Kind of a thing. <laughs> All right. So um, Smed is now combat tested, rocking a full body tattoo, bitchin' mustache. Um, and he actually uh, he gets chosen by one of his lifelong friends who would later go on to write him up for uh, one of his many awards and also serve as the best man in his wedding. He is now given command of a company. And uh, so Smed is chosen by uh, this gentleman to be one of the five officers for a company that was going to be shipping off to Guam. The orders are changed as soon as they report on board their ship, and Smed is now on his way to China to handle a little thing, and I'm going to have to dip out here to take a leak real quick, Dad, but a little thing known as the Boxer Rebellion. So it's my phone call and so, your leak needs. Hey, man, you, I, I would have held it, but, you know, Jeff Garlic had other plans. So. Very briefly, can you explain what the Boxer Rebellion was? Uh, Boxer Rebellion was um, an uprising that was held in China, uh, a little backstory that um, the Western powers and Japan are now looking to uh, force their hand on on China's ruling dynasty. Um, like they're trying to gain control in that territory. Absolutely, you know, all these all these world powers: uh, Germany, Britain, France, United States, uh, Japan. Because Japan is now in the in the process of modernizing their their whole country. They're they're coming into this. It's their mechanical age. It's like, oh yeah, we're it, starting to realize like the true potential right, of power. And, right. They want to be more like the rest of the rest of the world and tr try to take over the world. Because uh, up until this point, it was still like classic way of fighting, wasn't it? Or was uh, it was still kind of new. Yeah, but I mean, Japan is is doing um, a lot of saber rattling at the same time, and. and Again, this goes back into history that China always had an influence over Korea, and Japan wanted to have that same influence over Korea. So anyhow, there's a little, a little fracas in 1894-95 called the Sino-Japanese War, where China is fighting Japan over control of Korea. So it's, it's I like a, how you called a war a little fracas. A little fracas, <laughs> yeah, a little, little disagreement. A little, yeah, just a tiny and then, disagreement. And then there's also uh, going on in China, um, previous to the to this actual Boxer Rebellion, is something called the Opium Wars, where uh, opium in the 1850s or so was really being imported from India by the British and smuggled into China and getting the Chinese population hooked on opium. Um, and that was a little upsetting and, to and the Chinese, And that's sad, obviously. too, because, uh, you know, the, the Chinese weren't at least giving us some really cool, you know, beatnik poems or electric <laughs> guitars or nothing, yeah. you know? I mean, if you're going to be on opium, at least, uh, you know, give me something. Give and me some Pink Floyd. It was the British who was already controlling India, and then the Americans got involved with that same... Uh, illegal opium smuggling, but they were bringing their product in from Turkey. So um, there's a lot of people that are trying to create undue influence on the on the Chinese uh, population. Um, and then there's this group, uh, Chinese secret group, um, that became known as the Society of Righteous and Harmonious Fists. <laughs> It was the foreigners who were, yeah, right? The, the Society of Righteous and Harmonious Fists. Um, Sounds like an adult swim show. That's I like a, it. Well, they were very much into the whole martial arts kind of training and that type of thing. And a lot of the foreigners who were 
witnessing or viewing these guys in training and stuff said, well, yeah, they're, they're kind of like boxers. So it was a, an Anglo, anglicized version of this that gave it the nickname, really, of the boxers. It oh, was right. a form of fighting. Well, what form of fighting do we know about? Well, boxing. Well, we're going to call these guys the boxers. Mm -hmm. So that's where the name came about as, as far as these boxers. Well, this, this section of China, northern China, um, was very uh, economically hard hit. Anyhow, there's a lot of people that are starting to get involved with this whole uh, boxer attitude type of a thing that we're going to take back from these foreign powers. And it's going to be the Chinese leading the Chinese. The Chinese government or the ruling class, if you will, were, were kind of weak in uh, that. Um, they just lost this whole Sino-Japanese war. Um, a lot of these foreign powers are looking to colonize China. Um, they're, they're just taking over. Um, uh, one of those, obviously, you're saying, too, that, that Japan and China never really got along no, either. So. No, no. Um, and um, the, the, uh, this, whole, this was really a whole uprising by the Chinese, these Chinese rebels, if you will, that were given the, the nickname the Boxers. Um, this now goes to the, become the Boxer Rebellion. Um, they start, um, there was a, a large foreign influence in converting the Chinese to Christianity. And now these boxers are going out and, and they're, they're killing some of the missionaries. They're killing some of the, the Chinese converts. So they're killing their own who happen to be you know, going to the wrong religion in their eyes, going to Christianity. That's always such a, a funny thing. The wrong religion. <laughs> the wrong religion, right. <laughs> right. You can, you can have your beliefs, but if you don't believe like I believe, then you're wrong. But um, anyhow, um, there's this huge uprising, and a lot of these um, foreign uh, countries were sending in their dignitaries, sending in their, their legions, if you will, their diplomats and whatnot. And they were based primarily grouped together um, for their own safe safeguarding type of thing and now these boxers are going after them um, you know physically f firearms so they're 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 trying to kill these various diplomats they're killing the, the Chinese Christians um, so now these Western powers get together and decide that we ne need to send in this multinational force to crush this Chinese rebellion. So I was all thinking, these foreign countries <laughs> are sending in their troops to put down a Chinese rebellion that was within the Chinese uh, province. So um, Mr. Smedley now enters the uh, enters the scene once Can again. Can you say fracas again, just for <laughs> the my own personal <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, to put down this little... This little fracas, this little uprising, this little brouhaha. Yeah, Down so. in fracas rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, by the way, any time that the Boxer Rebellion gets mentioned, it perhaps gets a sentence at most in an American high school history book. Right. So. Um, now, if you're a, a big movie fan, uh, the, Sand Pebbles, yep. the Sand Pebbles. The Sand Pebbles was uh, the movie of the of the of that particular time where an American gunboat goes into China and gets kind of stranded within this boxer rebellion. You want a, a tough guy name? Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Oh no yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. He's about as bad as they come. And that's yeah. a great movie too. And that is uh, I remember watching that while out in Great Lakes Naval Station. 
surrounded by uh, a bunch of my buddies who were all in basic engineering common core with me at the time. So it's a room full of damage controlmen and gas turbine guys sitting there saying, holy shit, we used to power these things off steam. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, What was the movie called again? The Sand Pebbles. Good flick, man. I own that one. And uh, accurate, too. Um, But uh, anyway, Smed uh, is now on his way over to uh, get involved with this Boxer Rebellion. And uh, boy, oh boy, he's going to get all he bargained for and more in China. He uh, is finding mutilated Japanese bodies. Um, they're testing his prowess on a battlefield. In one particular engagement, Smed sees a fellow officer get shot, and so he jumps out from his trench in order to save him. For his efforts, Smed gets shot in the leg. All right. Then another Marine comes to the rescue of the two of them, who is also in turn shot. So at some point, just stay in your fucking trench, you know? <laughs> but uh, Keep your head down. Exactly. Smed is, uh, he, despite his leg wound... Uh, helps his wounded officer back to the rear of the line to safety. Um, I did not know this before this episode, Dad. I don't know if you did either. But uh, around this time frame, the Medal of Honor uh, was not allowed to be rewarded, or awarded, I should say, to commissioned officers. Right. It was only for the uh, enlisted, not not um, commissioned officers. And he's a lieutenant at this point, so he's a commissioned officer. Exactly. So now you pointed to your notes. You got something? Yeah, it was just that when he rescued uh, this guy under fire, he, he took uh, he took a bullet, like you said, to the thigh. Um, uh, Butler was promoted to brevet captain with that. So now we went from le- to um, a lieutenant to a captain, and a brevet captain is... Um, a merit promotion. Yeah, right. It's a merit promotion for... Um, Valor and typically in battle kind of a thing that you're you're given the promotion, uh, you're given the title, but you're not given the the pay grade. Is that that sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds like <laughs> right. sounds like when I got bumped up to E five, and they're like, "You'll get paid for this in about eight months." I, was like, I have four months left in the Navy, <laughs> but we're so proud of you. <laughs> right, right. And and read so much better that you made that. Yeah. So anyhow, he takes that. Um, and then uh, he's laid up a little bit. Um, he's promoted to brevet captain. He's uh, um, a couple of days short of his 19th birthday. So you go into the Marine Corps. You're underage at 17. This dude is 19 when this is all going down. <laughs> yeah, this yep. is, this I thought is this is like ten. Like I thought this was no, years no. in the. Ma- and this dude nope. is no. He's 19. He is not legally able to buy a beer in the not modern legally, United but States. Man, so. I'm buying that dude like. 10 kegs if he wants it. Well, Shit. Yeah. He was a boozer, too, so he probably would appreciate that. Well, Butler was promoted to brevet captain a couple days short of his 19th birthday. Um, now, he he got hit in the thigh on, in June, June 21st. And then by August, now that he's recouped from the, taking the bullet wound in the thigh, by August he's back on the field with his company, and now he's leading a relief attack on Beijing. Beijing now, we still have all these foreign dignitaries and, and uh, diplomats and uh, Chinese Christians and stuff that are all holed up in this one small area, and they're, they're being sieged. They're, they're besieged. So now he's leading this attack to, um, to, rescue, uh, to rescue these people, um, and he takes uh, another bullet, this time in the chest. Uh, <laughs> And <laughs> what do we know about his chest, Kahuna? Too. Think about that for a What do we know about his chest? The, the tattoo. The yep. tattoo. All right. But this time he takes he takes the the force of the bullet uh, is actually deflected by the brass button on his uniform. Really. And it, it takes out a 
a chunk of meat off of, out of his chin. It, it gouged out a chunk uh, of skin on his chest, and they said that the Latin American portion of his Marine Corps emblem is now MIA, <laughs> <laughs> literally missing in action from, uh, from imagine the though, Imagine that your badass full chest tattoo of your uh, arguably the toughest branch of the military has now been uh, scuffed up by a bullet wound. Do you think you really want to fuck with a man named Smedley? No. no, um, no. Now, again, 19 years old this time, Smed's next to our duty, because unfortunately we do have to... We're not going to... I'll put it to you this way. We're going to cover everything about the guy's life. We're going to give you the full the full experience on the podcast. This one probably going to go a little bit long here today. Um, certainly more than an hour. At the, the We're approaching the 40-minute mark now, and we're, <laughs> we're not even totally halfway again. through his life. I mean, we're, uh, not halfway through the podcast, at least halfway through his life. So we're not going to linger too, too long on all of it because we want to give you the full experience. But uh, if we lack a couple of details here and there, it's not that we don't know them. It's that we had to give you guys at least something. We, well, we can't go Joe Rogan length podcasts here. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> Although this guy's story might as well be. It's a damn good one, dude. This is why we, we picked him for uh, especially for a holiday weekend such as this. Uh, and also my father returning so we can go knee deep into something here. Um, Smed's next tour of duty. Uh, if you will, would be known as the Banana Wars, okay? In which the Banana Wars, for those who don't know, American colonial marines would fight a xenomorphic banana that was trying to impregnate... I apologize. I apologize. That is James Cameron's aliens. I was... uh, I had that on while I was writing this. That's my fault. Are you Um, okay? uh, (laughs) So Smedley goes over to Corporal Hicks and Private Hudson. (laughs) Uh, no, the Banana Wars were a series of police actions that protected U.S. interests in Central America. So you've got all this sugar cane, you've got fruits, you've got tobacco all coming into the U.S. And uh, the U.S. is a big swinging dick out here in these waters thanks to us, you know, beating the Spanish out of uh, Cuba and whatnot. So, yeah, and we're also following the whole policy of the Monroe Doctrine that there was not going to be any foreign powers exactly. allowed into the uh, Western Hemisphere. So. You, which, by the way, some people get uh, annoyed at the way the Monroe Doctrine got rolled out at times. But uh, people also do forget that at the start of the original 13 colonies, uh, Spain, France, and England all had giant chunks of North America they were in charge of. Not to mention the the hostile natives at times. Right. So um, you, you had to, you had to have an aggressive. The best defense is a good offense, and vice versa. Kind of that thing going on here. But uh, so since the U.S. is the big swing and dick over here, this leads us to uh, a reward, an audio reward for our true fans of the show. Um, I believe it was the third episode we ever did. Ready for an old school loser reception, Cahoons? Wow, really? An initial casualty of the banana wars and the monopoly and regime changes implemented by the U.S. during this time would create something known as banana republics. Okay. Uh, that being said, for our most loyal listeners, Queen wow. Lili Yukalani and the Lost Kingdom of Hawaii, who are lost by the, uh, the, the Committee for Public Safety, headed up by Dole. Okay, Dole Bananas. All right. Every time you eat a dull banana, you are besmirching the memory of Queen Lili Yukalani. <laughs> I got to I got to say something though. Sorry to get this sidetracked, of but course, I, buddy. yesterday was literally 2 years I started working here. Hell yeah, buddy. So, like when did like loser didn't start directly when I started here, but it was like soon after that. We're almost. approaching our 2-year anniversary. We got big big things yeah, planned for that one. Yeah. That's insane. Like I remember recording that episode. It didn't feel like that long <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's oh, a man. it was a good one, man. We had um, uh, 
now now that we've hit that Louis reception, now we can kind of break down what Smed was doing in all this. So, and LP, jump in when you need to. Uh, give me the high sign, if you will. All right. But uh, Smed was a good Marine, but he couldn't help but notice uh, certain things about his missions. Uh, now, he wouldn't really talk about it at the time, maybe out loud or in public, but his later uh, lectures and stuff in life, he was noticing, why am I leading my men into fights with locals who are defending their own home soil so that I can make sure that businesses like United Fruit and others have their interests protected. Uh, Smed signed up to fight for America, not for Wall Street, and yet that's who seemed to be benefiting the most. So plug that away for later in the episode. This guy's got some of the wildest quotes ever about that stuff. Yeah, and, uh, I don't think Smed was um, the shrinking violet with making his, uh, his feelings known. Uh, he was a complainer to the higher-ups, but he also had... Daddy Dearest yes. back home in mm-hmm. D.C. Uh, on the uh, Committee for Naval Affairs within Congress. So, uh, you know, he, Dad had his back kind of a thing, too. So Now, that being said, any anything you and me were involved in, say, like the Boy Scouts or anything like that, I always wondered if I had a mouth on me because that's just me in general, or did I have a mouth on me because <laughs> you were typically involved as well? So I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, because I, I had a mouth on me <laughs> anywhere I went pretty much. Um, there's plenty of uh, write-ups from the Home Depot and the United States Navy to say that I really <laughs> – I tended to question authority a little too much. <laughs> the back of me hand to the front of your face. <laughs> Ooh, man. I hope that guy's dead. Um, <laughs> uh, Tristan and Hobart will like that one. But uh, nonetheless, Smed's got a job to do. All right? He's now stationed in Puerto Rico. Smed and the boys get sent over. By the way, that's what we're just going to call him from now on. We're not going to say the, the Marines <laughs> – or, uh, you know, Major General Butler, whatever rank he's going to be in it, just smedding the boys. That's what we're going to go with. They get sent to Honduras to suppress a rebellion. Uh, they arrive ready to tear the ever-loving shit out of anything that challenges them. So Yeah, the idea was that they were going to defend the U.S. consulate from local uh, insurgent attacks. Well, they think they're coming in hot is what it's going to be. So yeah. I, I made my joke about aliens earlier. It's like when they first land and they can't find anything. So it's kind of goofy. These guys are like... Rambo, first blood, knives in the mouth, you know, uh, Damn. ready to do th- you know, ready to do some damage. And uh, unfortunately, all they're finding is a very quiet town. So they then reboard their boat and move up the coast looking for rebels. They're never able to seem to come across until they hit a town known as Trujillo. So, again, I'm hoping my, my friend Katia Fernandez, uh, she had always told me that for a white boy I do good pronunciation. Um, I'm hoping Trujillo is how you're supposed to say it. You are very proud of that, aren't you? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Once I found out Spanish girls like the Irish guys, it kind of changed my life a little bit. Um, <laughs> Spanish girls like Irish guys? Yep. I, luck. I didn't well, know. It. Kevin's, <laughs> Kevin's world, though. You know, go with it. Just, just go with it. <laughs> uh, hey, man, you say that until you have a grandson named Paco. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But uh, Smed's mission was to defend the U.S. consulate in Honduras against the Bonalistas, okay? Um, So upon arrival, uh, they hear gunshots firing off, right? So they know they're getting into the action now. The fighting uh, at the consulate is between those rebels, the Bonalistas, and the Honduran soldiers. Upon the arrival of old Smed and the boys, the fighting stops, and everybody kind of takes off to a degree. Send in the Marines. Uh, That's where this term comes from. Send in the Marines was just the answer for any unrest going on in our little kingdom, if you will. So um, it, we, we're an unwilling empire in a lot of ways. So uh, Smed saves the U.S. consul, who he finds wrapped in the American flag hidden between floorboards, 
and Smed and the crew, uh, they return to their ship with the console. Now, upon their exit, fighting resumes between the Honduran soldiers and the Bonalistas. So um, they take, uh, the, actually, the, the Bonalistas are successful post-Smed, uh, uh, Smed's evacuation, right. if you will. And uh, they now take over the Honduran government. So this now leads to the badass nickname of, and I'm going to ask you to break this down in a second, LP, Old Gimlet Eye. Yeah, Old Gimlet Eye. I, I had read that uh, while he's going in to save the uh, U.S. consulate from the insurgents, that he was also feverish at the time, too. So now he had a this boring glaze of uh, uh, eye stare. You know, talk about the evil eye. Um, this guy had it, and now he's also feverish. So, I mean, it was just... Um, multiplied that that's where his own men gave him the the nickname uh, old gimlet eye so he had a mile long stare to begin with cahoons and now you're going to add some weird you know like like superhuman stuff like he's going to almost look at you like uh like into your soul type <laughs> stuff right. yeah there's some of that so or it's a little you. it's a little like maybe schwarzenegger as the the terminator uh oh. or more appropriate lawrence taylor before hitting theisman or Larry Bird during a three-point contest. That's the kind of nobody's questioning me right now thing. Um, yeah, and Gimlet is not the drink. <laughs> Gimlet is not the drink. A Gimlet is actually a hand tool that's used to bore into wood to start like a screw or something like that. So if you're using a Gimlet, you're you're boring into or poking a hole through something with, uh, with your Gimlet. So old gimlet eye he can go right through you with his eyeballs so just looking at you is gonna put a hurt on you <laughs> tough dude if and you get looked at by this guy you basically just got shot essentially it's it's almost a medusa like stare oh um, that's better see that's um, dope <laughs> smed has a softer side though in fact uh he was a married man and a father to three children later on in his life um on uh, June 30th, 1905, old Smed married himself the daughter of a railroad executive. All right, very well-known railroad executive. Uh, the daughter's name was Ethel Conway Peters. Uh, the two were married in... Drum roll. Oh, is it, it where? Bayhead, New Jersey. <laughs> For those who don't like our Jersey tie-ins, I'm sorry you're not from Jersey. Um, and if you do like it, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, we, we pay a heavy premium for good pizza around here, let me tell you. So, who knows? I might be living in Florida by next episode. Taking but, care of the locals. Um, Don't do that to me. So they do, get, uh, they do go ahead and get married uh, in Bayhead, New Jersey. There's our Jersey tie-in for uh, the episode. Uh, Smed is now stationed in the Philippines. Smed is still being the Marine's Marine. But uh, around this time frame in uh, 1905, I believe, he suffers what is considered a nervous breakdown. He takes nine months off. Uh, with a relaxing, cushy job of running a mine in Virginia. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's what this guy's idea of relaxation was. You know? So this is like he's on a break. How old is he by this point? Uh, well, it's 1905. He's born in 1881. I failed math twice in high school. Um, he is not an old man here. So, um, Did you say his 20s? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he does come back on active duty almost immediately, though. So he takes about nine months off that was authorized leave for him. And he's back in action here. So it's more like an R and R, rest and relaxation kind of a thing. But his idea of a relaxation is to exactly go go run a mine. Go run a mine. <laughs> now right. keep in mind too that, that at this time, had uh, commissioned officers been eligible for the Medal of Honor, he would be a Medal of Honor recipient. So he's uh, he's kicking a lot of ass all over the world here for us. 
1909 to 1912, Smed is still kicking ass and taking names, this time in Nicaragua, where these wonderful cigars I just got from Holt Cigar Company, who should be a sponsor of the show. Uh, Everyone should be a sponsor of this show. Come on. Exactly. They have a Patreon now. That's that's the deal, man. And uh, again, the Patreon listeners are going to get a little bit more here. But uh, Smed's putting down insurrections, leading assaults, relieving cities under siege. You had an ass that needed to be kicked. Smed's your man. All right. (laughs) Michael Jordan had a flu game. Smed had a fever siege. Okay. (laughs) So he had some sort of weird fever that gave his eyes that weird tint. And then another time he led a full on assault with a hundred and four degree temperature. Oh, yeah. So that um, they should do the last dance 30 for 30 on Smedley Butler. <laughs> so this dude just, like, had the right amount of crazy in him enough <laughs> that, like, he could get yeah. by and be okay. Soldiers loved him. Uh, his superiors kind of feared him. And they, they were a little nervous about him sometimes. If you knew him and you, you dealt with him in a way that uh, he could be of use to you, you loved the guy. He had some fan. By the way, a fan of his, Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. Uh, a later fan of his will also have the last name Roosevelt. So So when you got a when you got a professional ass kicker as an endorser, you're on the right track. <laughs> Indeed. Right. Now this one I'm excited about for you here, Kahuna. I, I was I wrote this with a smile on my face waiting for you to get uh, freaked out by this. One of Smed's wildest assignments. I would. Is this fair to say this is his wildest assignment? Dad? I'm, I'm I'm sitting with uh, on the edge of my chair here. His wildest assignment was uh, he realized as the the mission was being brought to his attention. Oh, I know this one. He was stationed at one two three Sesame Street, right? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Uh, it's uh, I do wonder if his look was a uh, legal eagle or whatever uh, the character. He he does have Sam some. Sam the uh, eagle. Yeah, Sam the eagle. Oh man. <laughs> Oh, my um, God, he does look yeah. like him. It's uh, ass-kicking, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so almost like a Rambo movie when a lone helicopter lands in a remote village and says, we need you, uh, a car comes up and uh, takes Smed away from his men and uh, deep into the woods, and they start breaking down this mission for him. And Smed's sitting there as they're breaking down the info for him. He realizes, holy shit, they're about to send me undercover deep into the heart of Mexico to do intel and recon to plan a full-on land invasion of Mexico. Now, Dad, I'm going to drop... I'm, I'm setting you up here. You know where the layup's coming from, right? I would think so. Okay. Why is President Woodrow Wilson, who's got some affairs in Europe that are getting concerning, why is he paying attention to what's going on south of the border? Well, because uh, what's going on over in Europe right now is the First World War. Uh, what would become known as the First World War or the Great War at the time. So we got Britain and, and England and Germ- uh, England, Germany, France. They're all uh, in a shooting match big time over there. And um, Mexico is in turmoil as far as their leadership is concerned. We also have many loser inceptions going on there that the United States government has to protect our borders, if you will, um, with Mexico uh, for fear of what's going on with the hostilities down there. Is there some sort of a uh, bandit king running yeah, wild down a, there? There's a there's a guy by the name of Pancho Villa that uh, <laughs> is back and forth across the Mexican border. I'm really getting tired of this fucking winter soldier here. Because <laughs> he's, he's everywhere. Uh, anyhow, um, uh, Smedley uh, Butler is sent into Mexico on the on the sneak, if you will, to try to gather some information about 
what exactly is going on down there. Uh, the United States is paying very close attention because Will, uh, Woodrow Wilson ran on the ticket of, uh, you know, he kept us out of war, that the United States has declared neutrality. But um, there's a lot of things happening on the world stage that are drawing the United States closer and closer to entering the conflict over in Europe. Um, Smedley is sent into um, Mexico, Veracruz specifically, um, to find out what's going on there, that if it does come to a, a shooting war or a land invasion with Mexico, that we want to have some intel. He goes in there um, in civilian clothes, so he's on a spy mission um, with this uh, railroad tycoon because there are Mexican-American ties as far as the railroad is concerned, but he goes into Mexico under the pretense of he's some kind of a railroad man and gets into uh, into Mexico and is now, you know, taking notes of... of well, it's key, too. He's looking for a missing railroad employee. Yeah, who's, who's non-existent. Who doesn't exist. A fictitious railroad employee has gone meow, meow, has meow, gone meow, missing meow, well meow, yeah he's meow, missing meow, because meow, he's meow. fictitious <laughs> but that was the the pretense that he goes into and you know getting by all the mexican officials as to what's going on with that uh he penetrates deep into the mexican interior spent three days in mexico city mapping out uh key military installations and then uh he fights his way out through a local mob before uh, reaching the docks where there's a launch waiting for him to take him back to the ship. There's also things going on in other parts of Mexico that are getting a little dicey that um, there was some uh, American sailors who came ashore in Mexico um, to buy gasoline to refit their, their ship with. And, uh, you know, things things are heating up all over the place. So some of the Mexican mobs are are taking uh, taking terms with the uh, with the Americans, but anyhow, he comes back to uh, the uh, his American ship and then is later sent in with a company of sailors and, and Marines uh, from uh, you know, with a battalion and is forced to move into the city. And uh, now we're we're actually in a shooting war here in in Veracruz. Um, some of the revolutionaries and stuff are shooting at him. Some of the Mexican army is shooting at him. Uh, Smed is moving through Veracruz, um, trying to again get to some of the uh, American Americans who were kind of stranded there uh, to rescue them. So he's on a on a rescue mission. They're being shot at. Is, is it fair to say just Mexico is goddamn wild? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the way. Yeah, <laughs> this that's, this that's, is going on uh, far removed from the border wars that's going on that have right. a young Patton and Blackjack Pershing in a giant Pancho Villa expedition going right. on. Like, we're, th- there's, Mexico is wild. It's, it's, it's completely wide, wide open. Um, all these different factions are fighting amongst themselves, and now the Americans are coming in here trying to save some of the American citizens. Anyhow, he's... He's walking up uh, Veracruz trying to get to this um, uh, conclave of, uh, of Americans, and they're shooting at him. He's only armed with a swagger stick, so as he's walking up the street... Explain, explain what a swagger stick is real quick. Huh? Explain what a swagger stick it's, is real quick. Uh, it's got a different connotation now. 
<laughs> All right, my bad. Um, <laughs> modern day terms versus old school, but uh, it's a stick. It's like a cane type of a thing that you might use it as a to hit the side of your horse as you're as you're riding and stuff. A riding crop. A riding yeah. crop. Okay. Okay. It's um, almost like the. What? I forgot. I forgot what it's almost. There's a real term for it, but like old police officers used to carry one. Nightstick or a billy yeah, club. Yeah, yeah. Like a, right. Is it similar to that? Yeah, uh, not not really for hitting other people. It was really meant for hit, you know hitting the horse that you're riding on. Okay. Um, like a, a jockey's whip, if you will, that when they're in, in the race. But anyhow, that's all he's armed with, and he's I, he's walking up the street. The Mexicans are shooting at him, and then he would just take his riding stick or his crop and, and pointing out, hey, that shot came from over there so that his own rifleman can then, you know, spot the, the sniper and take him out. My so. apologies to the Sunquist family, but I'm just realizing now that Smedley and Wu-Tang Clan have something very much in common. They are nothing to fuck with. <laughs> yeah. Smed's a bad man. Um, under the... Uh, you know, so he's he's rescues the Americans. They come back aboard, and and for his actions in in Veracruz, um, he wants to be. He, they want to award him now, um, and under the new criteria, um, he now receives his first Medal of Honor, which is the highest um, honor that uh, the American government right. can now, can be put on somebody. Another point, though, is that. Um they, it's not an overnight long weekend in Mexico here. Uh, once the troops are able to hold Veracruz, they decide they're not going to – no longer is a land invasion going to happen. Now, the reason why Mexico got um, the firm attention of the United States was because there were certain, um, certain Axis powers that were perhaps you know, feeling out Mexico to see, hey, if, if, you know, if we can convince you to you know, suffocate an American attempt to get involved over here, you right. know, we'd, we'd make it worth your while. Yeah, I think what you're leading up to is that, um, you know, the United States right now is officially neutral um, with the with the Great War, the First World War that's going on over in Europe. But Germany is sending out feelers to the Mexican government um, as to would they be willing to take sides in this whole thing. Um, the British intercept a telegram that went from Germany to Mexico, they intercept us, mm -hmm. and the Germans are laying it out. Hey, listen, if you come on our side in this whole um, great war, in this first world war, um, we're going to allow you to take back Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and all those all those you can lands, have those territories back. Right, all those <laughs> lands that you lost in the Mexican War. Back in 1838 or something, 36. And as you recall, uh, they've had European interests in Mexico all the way back to Maximilian. Right. And uh, all the, the nonsense that went on into Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo episode. You can have the lands that you lost. <laughs> right. There you go. Well, anyhow, that that really put the the tin hat on it. So instead will, of a, wow. that, yeah, Wilson calls off a full-on invasion of Mexico, but the boys still hold down Veracruz for six months. That's a sick, that's a deployment, dude. All right. Wow. So now, as uh, my father was leading into, uh, the rules have changed regarding the Medal of Honor. Who better to receive the nation's highest honor than old Gimlet Eye himself? Only problem was, Smed didn't really think he'd earned it, so he tried to give it back to him. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Imagine trying to hand that back to the like. No, I'm not really into that, guys. The highest honor your government can possibly bestow upon you, and he refuses it. Yeah. But sir, this isn't a word. I don't got enough room on my shelf. That's a. <laughs> <laughs> well, he uh, he was told. He goes, uh, "That's not going to happen, sir. You're going to wear this. You're going to wear it well because they wanted to." Uh, get the esteem of the award uh, back up where it belonged. So old Gimlet Eye, his next uh, tour of duty, if you will, is going to be to a politically stable region known as Haiti. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, a mob had descended upon Haiti. I didn't realize how crazy Haiti was until we covered this one. I, I loved reading about this. Um, and it gives you an admiration for what the, the Haitian people have had to go through. Um, a mob had just descended upon and killed the president of Haiti. The term send in the Marines was certainly used as Smed and the boys rolled up to take care of business. Um, ambushed by a 400-strong 400, 400 force, Smed and the Marines held their perimeter overnight, later going on the offensive, charging in three separate directions and driving the resistance running. Okay, so he is able to run 400 of these guys off, the Haitian you know, resistance, if you will. He's able to get them, who, by the way, just successfully killed their own president. These are not, this isn't like a haphazard mob. Yeah, this is, uh, they're pretty organized. Get a load of this one. So he chases 400 people off. Smed has 44 Marines with him. Wait, what? Yep. What are the numbers? Yep, 44 Marines. That's almost 10 to 1 versus, odds. <laughs> 44 versus? 400. So you want a Leonidas-type shit? Smed's doing that, too. So, um He's able to uh, successfully hold the perimeter overnight, right? Then they, uh, they go ahead and um, he's able to now scatter those guys. He's able to reinforce and uh, he's now able to get a bunch of his other Marines on board. They're using sailors as well. And he now has a force of about 700 men and they're able to take down stronghold after stronghold. Okay. So unfortunately, uh, there's some time lapse here. So I don't want to pretend like this all happened overnight. But the last major stronghold in Haiti was uh, Fort Riviere. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Smed had a force of about 100 Marines and sailors. Okay, so it's not all blood and guts, boots on the ground. Some of these guys are sailors that have to have other jobs. You know, some of them would be engineers, boatswains, mates, stuff like that. Land-based sailors. Yeah. Um, guys who you could also kick a little ass, but uh, it wasn't their only job, if you will. So um, the, the running joke on the boat was if the engineering department is shooting guns, something has gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> at, at the time, this Fort Riviera was... Um, one of the remaining uh, rebel strongholds. It's an old French fort on Haiti. Haiti's a mess. It's another Caribbean country that I think prior to this whole um, uh, landing of the Marines in Haiti, there was like six different presidents in a, in a three-year time period or something. It was like ridiculous that there was one right after another. Who's getting assassinated? Who's going to be overthrown by a, a military coup? It was it was craziness just, just all the over the place. Just everything was up in the air. Yeah, and most of the Marine officers in Haiti at the time felt that it would take an entire regiment supported by artillery to a capture, to capture this uh, Fort Riviera. Um, Smedley Butler comes up with this idea that he puts forth to, to his higher ups that I can take it with 96 guys. <laughs> supported by two machine gun sections. So, And, uh, well... <laughs> he did. <laughs> Smed and his force of about 100 men notice a hole in the side of the fort, and he and his men are able to uh, get inside the fort, engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat, killing all 51 Haitian resistance members while only experiencing one casualty. Want to guess what the casualty was, Coons? Who? One of uh, Smed's men took a rock and lost his two front teeth. 
took yep. a rock to the mouth. Rock to the face. <laughs> Wait, like casualty, like like he died from that? No, a, a no, casualty no, no. is casualty not a Casualty is, yeah. is just an injury. Oh, so no one died? Nobody died. No, there what? were no fatalities. Um, wow. And what was interesting, that, that hole in the wall that you mentioned, that was actually a culvert that Smedley and a couple of other guys crawled up through this culvert to gain entrance inside the fort. Meanwhile, the other 93 guys or, you know, 94 guys are attacking the front gate type of thing. So he created the version inside the fort because they popped up out of this culvert inside the fort and started blasting away at the at the rebels. Meanwhile, the rest of the guys are now attacking the fort with the, oh, with the frontal Damn. assault. So it Smedley, was, uh, more like deadly. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> deadly, but how did I not put that together? I'm upset with myself now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also just got an offer. Uh, I mean, the episode won't come out until then, but it looks like I'll be on the... Uh, Stress Factory Comedy Club's live comedy show this evening at 8 p.m. Oh, good so, for you. Yeah. Um, old Smed had, uh, you know, he's an interesting guy, as we talked about here. Um, one of the people who noticed that uh, he's able to pretty much take, you know, Haiti overnight, not overnight, but we're using that as a, the, the term here. Um, guy by the name of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is the Secretary of the Navy at this time. And he's quite impressed at Old Smed. He ensures that uh, Smedley receives his second Medal of Honor. Uh, he was also awarded by the Haitian government their Medal of Honor. Okay. As Smed takes control of Haiti, uh, he's actually working as uh, almost a uh, – what's the right term here? He's not, net, he's not like a baron or a warlord or anything, but he's definitely the military commandant of uh, Haiti for the time being. And he's actually proving that he's pretty good at getting their lives back to normal, and he's able to improve conditions for the people of Haiti – uh, via various public works and starting jobs and progresses and stuff like that. So, oh, so he gets the ball rolling on improving. Smeds, yeah, he's got a diplomatic hand to as well here, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, and I think we ought to throw in here too that Haiti also had a heavy German influence. So this I didn't know till today. Yeah. Just as Mexico had that German influence, or we were trying to protect our our southern borders against that German influence within Mexico, there were a lot of uh, heavy financial hitters from Germany that were involved in Haiti um, who were trying to control the, the finances of Haiti as well. And, and they were really responsible for a lot of these insurrections and assassinations and everything else because they're the ones that were financing some of the rebel uh, Haitians kind of a thing that, you know, whatever, whatever government forces they put into place well, somebody else will finance the next batch of rebels to, to overthrow, to keep this in a whole complete turmoil. A Haitian law at the time would only allow uh, Haitian businesses and stuff to be owned by Haitians. So what the Germans did is they would send their people over into Haiti. They would marry with, into Haitian families, and now they would be able to monopolize some of the Haitian um, um, economy. Because, hey, uh, you know. I am from Haiti, you see. Just because my yes. name is Schwartz does not mean I can't own this business, you know. Um, I see nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, Kev, I, I, have to, I have to divulge just or, or divert a little bit here because another guy that received the Medal of Honor for his actions in Haiti, another Marine by the name of Dan Daly, he's the only other Marine that has ever received two Congressional Medal of Honors. Um, and he was uh, actually um, under 
Smedley Butler's command. Uh, Dan Daly is a sergeant, a gunny sergeant. Um, while this force is going to attack this um, fort, they're coming through the jungle searching out the rebels. There's a rebel ambush on part of this force, and one of the machine guns that we alluded to is lost in this river. They're, they're crossing the river when they were ambushed. Um, the machine gun is lost um, in the river, and then the, the, the Marines escape the ambush by forming up. And then later that night, this Marine Dan Daly, this sergeant, goes back to the river under the cloak of darkness, dives under the underwater, finds whatever horse or whatever the thing, the machine gun was strapped onto. So he's diving multiple times underwater under the cloak of darkness, trying to be it as silently as possible because the rebels are still surrounding them, recovers the machine gun, recovers the ammunition, and then carries this, this guy, Dan Daly, was only like five foot six and 136 pounds. Right. Wow. He now carries this 200-pound machine gun and ammunition back up to the, <laughs> to the rest of the Marine detachment that were uh, going through the jungle. Um, and that got him a medal? Well, no, that, that and what happened later on with the, with the um, capture of these uh, uh, rebels or the, the putting down of the rebel forces, if you will. That is insane. Yeah, really. Um, but I, I, had to, I had to throw that out that... Um, Schmedley Butler is one of two who have ever received two Congressional Medal of Honor. Yeah. Um, and, and Dan Daly is, is the second. People are going to think that we're, uh, we're making these next couple of parts up over here. So post-Haiti, he's obviously a success over there. He's got uh, the approval of uh, FDR now, right? So he, he's got all the Roosevelts that you want to have on your side, on your side. Um, Old Smed had finally had enough of combat, though, after this. He was... Uh, he was done with it. Just kidding. He requests to now fight on the Western Front in Europe, okay? So he wants to go kick a little Axis ass. Um, he's actually pissed off when his orders were instead uh, of being on the Western Front. He was placed in charge of a camp that was actually critical. It was a critical um, spot. Um, he had some friends of his that were trying to get him brought to the Western Front, but there were a couple other higher-ups over there that were saying, ooh, we can't really – we don't know what to do with Butler because they understood he was an ass-kicker, but he had this – Here's the word they try to use. Whenever you want to label somebody as a problem because you don't want to work with them, they'll say stuff like, oh, he's, uh, he's got some unreliable tendencies. And it's like, uh, oh, you mean the guy who essentially took over all of Central America for us? <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, unreliable? But, like, that doesn't make any sense, though. Why would they even have these inclinations in the first place? Like, Agree. But like, the, that doesn't make any sense as far as in the grand scheme of things. All you've painted for me is for this dude is that he's just been kicking ass and chewing bubblegum. Right. He ran out of bubblegum a long ass time ago. Now imagine so you like, were insecure and there was someone else. Oh, yeah, and okay. someone's making you look bad because you're not. And, and again, there's a lot of other wild stuff too. That was a cool sound. I don't know what that was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Something out on the street. But the American Expeditionary Force, okay, which is launched by the way, uh, one of the, uh, the the guys. I believe the guy running uh, things over there was. Blackjack Pershing, right? Exactly. Who had previously been sent after Pancho Villa, has a young Patton with him, okay? Um, and they're going to actually be over on the Western Front with these guys, but the AEF, the American Expeditionary Force, has to land, okay, in order to be used over in Europe. They have to come from America into Europe. And the camp where all this is being made possible is now being run by Smedley Butler. 
Now, uh, journalists that were over there at the time were noticing that uh, the camp was uh, unsanitary, overcrowded, not really. I mean, it was, it was kind of a shit show over there. Butler's and, camp? Or? Yeah. Well, and Butler now no, comes over into command of this. Oh, so he right. arrives. And what have we learned about Smed over the last hour, 14 minutes? He has, uh, he has a way of making his presence felt. So uh, one of his moves, uh, as he continues to kind of fix the organization of the camp and turns it around, he actually receives a couple other commendations for this. So that five-row um, decorative uh, you know, awards and whatnot on his uniform, a lot of those are coming from his efforts in World War I, where even though they're not allowing him to shoot at anybody, he's still making sure that America's kicking ass in the right way. Wow. Major issue they had was mud over there. Okay, you, you hear World War One. they always... The trench warfare, people stuck in mud. Uh, soldiers were drowning in mud, actually, over there at some times. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's not pleasant conditions. Anyone who can see the movie 1917 should. Uh, anyone who really, really wants to get a load of something cool. Um, my father's uh, Christmas gift for me a couple of years ago was uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, Peter Jackson's uh, colorized World War One footage. Mind-blowing. It's, in, it's insane. mind but We saw it in 3D, dude. It was heavy. Um <laughs> You know? They were playing it at the, the Liberty Science Center at the giant dome because they'll play oh, IMAX movies cool, yeah. in there. I don't, I wanted to go, but I realized if I went, I was going to get dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you on that, dude. But it was it was cool. I recommend both those to anybody who will go see it. Um, yeah, well, John John J. Pershing puts Schmedley Butler in charge of this uh, um, replacement depot, this replacement camp. Now you got to imagine this is a. Uh, mud-infested, pestilence-filled mud hole where 100,000 Americans are packed together uh, as they're arriving in France. So the, the Americans are finally in the war here, and they're all being packed together. And on average, when Smedley first takes over this thing, he's given the, uh, he's now made a general. So at the age of 37, Butler became the youngest general officer in the yeah. Marine Corps. That's, he's uh, 37? 37, That's yeah. technically not... L- Technically, twenty years of military service, and he's now at you know right. the rank of general. He joined at seventeen, so in twenty years, he's now a general with uh, the youngest general officer in the Marine Corps. Uh, he assumes command of this uh, this godforsaken mud hole um, <laughs> where the Americans are supposed to be um, f- filling in the, the rest of the the line, if you will, and then they're sharing inadequate sanitation facilities. There's an average of twenty five of the guys dying a day just from influenza and other diseases so they're not even, they haven't even gone onto the front lines yet they're still at the uh, still. Uh, embarkation points and they're they're dying by the by the dozens um, he straightens things out and, and in short order turns the camp into a model of order and efficiency and obviously prevented uh, some more severe illnesses and, and the deaths of thousands of Americans were saved by uh, um, by Smedley just getting things squared away again. And then that same camp was used as the Central American debarkation points. In other words, when the boys were coming home, they were still filing through that same camp. So and as the Civil War, which was the, the major war uh, you know, before World War I, uh, had taught everybody that uh, sanitary conditions in these camps is imperative because uh, more men died from disease and injury in the Civil War than died in actual combat. So it sounds uh, innocuous, but incredibly important. And Smed, you know, he, he whoops at, he's actually showing himself to be quite a diligent between Haiti and the establishment of this camp overseas. Uh, 
that this guy's got some diplomatic skills. He understands uh, some civil engineering kind of stuff. I mean, he's a smart guy here. Oh, uh, so at this point, like, he's still doing Haiti stuff while doing these other assignments? Well, he, he's been removed from Haiti now, but he's, no, his Haiti's resume is growing is what right. I mean. Oh, okay. So uh, he actually earns another nickname over there, Old Duckboard, because uh, he took duckboards that weren't being used – uh, from you know ramps and stuff like that for boats, and put that underneath um, for the troops to walk on and keep in their tents, so that the guys weren't sinking into mud every single night. So, pretty wild over there. More nicknames, more medals. He just is—he's uh, an ass kicker wherever he goes. Um, the next chapter for Smed is wild. Uh, anyone who knows a Marine or is familiar with the Marines uh, knows about Quantico. When Smed arrived there, it was just a wartime base. They didn't know if they were going to keep it, uh, but, you know, for the duration. By the time he leaves Quantico, it has become now the heart and showplace of the Marine Corps. So, if you want, uh, if you're a Marine, and you want to swell up with pride. Quantico is uh, that gets the blood flowing, if you know what I mean. So, uh, this next one I had to prove to myself because the story changes depending on who's telling it. I found a couple of errors in some of the reporting of it. A couple contrasting opinions, and even one story that seemed accurate had the wrong Roosevelt um, attached. <laughs> so that's but, a bit of a that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, here's the here's the story. Um, I'm going to tell the story, and then uh, if anyone wants to fact check this, uh, feel free to. Um, the story, as I've been able to put it together, is that uh, while down at Quantico, um, the Marines under Smed were often used for long marches. Uh, and would also be used for Civil War battle reenactments for crowds, okay? Um, while nearing the site of the Civil War battle of Chancellorsville, which was a Confederate uh, victory, although uh, in really in a lot of ways considered a major loss for them because a certain uh, kick-ass general of the Confederacy died in the Battle of Chancellorsville. Cody, you want to guess the general's name? Pretty famous guy. No pressure. Nah, I'm feeling the pressure. I'm not. I, I know I'm going to get <laughs> no it No worries. Now, he's come up in the past before a little bit. We never did a full episode on him, but Stonewall Jackson. Okay. Who is, um, you know, he's one of those guys, the more you read about him, you almost, you, you start to admire him, you know, more and more. And then uh, you kind of just wish that, man, if he, we could have just kept him. Virginia had some pull, man. All right. <laughs> yes. Virginia had some pull. But he is killed in the Battle of Chancellorsville. And uh, he's actually shot by his own men. Uh, in an accident, right? Uh, dies a few days later. But uh, Smed is now told uh, by a local down uh, near the battle site. He goes, hey, you know, the uh, the arm of old Stonewall Jackson's buried right over there, you know. And Smed goes, you're full of shit, and my Marines are going to dig a giant hole and prove you wrong. Uh, and so the Marines are digging a hole, and holy shit, there's a wooden box with an arm in it. <laughs> no way. So uh, some Smed called bullshit, uh, and then he finds the arm, and uh, it's wild. He actually has the box reburied with the arm uh, in it in a new metal box, okay? Uh, and it's near the Battle of uh, – there's a marker put down there that says the Marine Expeditionary Force, uh, and that marker has been moved. It's now in the visitor center at Chancellorsville. Trippy note here. But is it still buried in the same spot? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. I have actually stood on the marker uh, of the spot where uh, Stonewall Jackson was shot, right. which is uh, off the visitor center uh, at the Battle of Chancellorsville on a family vacation with none other than... There you go. <laughs> you're, you're welcome for that. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy. There's the origin story for American Loser people. Yep. Oh, plenty of them, man. But, uh, Didn't get Disney World, but... 
I'm telling you got Stonewall's arm burial site this plan for a podcast started at uh, for Ticonderoga if we're being honest but uh, anyway uh, All right, we still got a lot to do here with Smedley so as we're moving on now a general in the Marines with a resume unlike almost any other soldier in history Smed is about to get his skills tested on the home front so in 1924 Get a load of this one. It's not a Jersey reference, but it is local shit here. Uh, In 1924, the newly elected mayor of Philadelphia requested that now President Calvin Coolidge, okay, give him a general to help him clean up the city. Side note, Coolidge, very, very popular governor of Massachusetts who broke up the Boston police strike. Okay. Um, So he's known as a no-nonsense guy. He's considered one of the greatest conservative uh, presidents of all time infamously served just one term because he got everything done he wanted to do so this guy's no nonsense the new mayor's coming he goes i want to be no nonsense and he goes give me a general that's no nonsense do we know anybody that's no nonsense (laughs) (laughs) smed takes the job and uh immediately starts running the city of philadelphia the way you would assume a general from the marines would Okay. In West Philadelphia. Sadly <laughs> <race>. <laughs> yeah, he's put in charge of the Department of Public Safety, which oversees the police and the fire departments. It's not a position that he really wanted, but uh, being it's coming from the, the request of the president, I guess uh, he, answers, he answers the call. His so. father suggested that he take the position, too, because keep in mind, uh, you say Daddy Dearest, which sounds like a pejorative, but really his father and him were tight. And his father, being a senator, uh, was able to allow Smedley to run his mouth a little bit. So he he had some of the, uh, we'll call it the KP arrogance that uh, <laughs> I got to enjoy. Um, but he's also effective as hell. Raids over 900 speakeasies, shuts down brothels, arms the cops on the streets with sawed-off shotguns, bulletproof vehicles, and wants them to have notches on their belts when they take down bandits. So this is like <laughs> 1920, I'm assuming, roughly? Uh, 1924. Five or so. Yeah. Wow. So, so I mean, we're in the height of prohibition. Oh man. So, mm-hmm. You know, you got you got people that are armed as well, and former veterans on on the bad guy side. That, so this dude just took over Philly. Right, this basically. is this is a bit of martial law. Right. This is Al Capone's era. Um, you know, so the mobs the mob is is definitely making their. Uh, I wonder what his thoughts on prohibition. Were. Their financial gains are. Smed Smed was. Um, well, I mean, he's of course about it because he has teetoler to, later in life. He was a booze yeah. bag as a youth. As a youth, but so. at this point, I think he's already given up the. He uh, follows the law as the law uh, permits, essentially. Right. So. Smed does make huge strides in cleaning up Philly, though, and many people were able to see the good he was doing. The press, and more importantly, here's the thing. Remember we talked about some of the generals that were above him didn't really like him because he was a rabble-rouser to a degree? Mm-hmm. Um, not really a skillful politician, our boy Smed. He uh, is raiding a lot of the places that the higher-ups would go to. So the Ritz-Carlton is not immune the same way that a, a shantytown pub is going to get raided. He's going to raid the Ritz-Carlton, which is going to piss off the Oh, so wealthy. he's the true no-nonsense yeah, guy. He's, yeah. he's, like, he's busting everybody's ass. There's some Elliot Ness If it's him. against okay. the law, it's against the law for the for the blue-collar guy. It's also against the law for the, the bankers the, and the lawyers. And so That must have made him such. some Anyone of means, right. yeah, anyone of means is now pushing him to, you know, uh, well, hey, mayor, you need to 
quiet your dog here kind of a thing. Right. Put so, that boy back on a leash. Exactly. Um, articles from the press now start to get leaked out about the warlord of Philly, and more and more pressure from political enemies eventually forces the mayor to act. And now all of this is going on now, too, Kev. He's only on a leave of absence from the Marines. He's still a Marine. Yes. But he's just on a leave of absence. To take care of Philadelphia. At the president's <laughs> request, as President uh, Calvin Coolidge just requests to go in there and clean up. Uh, you know, you're not going into... Um, Haiti, you're not going into China. You're not going into. You're going to Philly. <laughs> you're going to Philly, right? And he later said that he found he found the Philadelphia assignment more difficult than going into a lot of these foreign countries. Well, let's let's make sure we actually close uh, the, the Philly chapter properly too. <laughs> All right. um, so uh, the mayor is now forced to act. Uh, the city's divided. Many citizens want him to stay. Uh, Smed steps down under immense pressure after two years of cleaning up the city of brotherly love. And later, an exact quote, like you said, Dad, when asked about trying to clean up Philly, uh, Smed refers to it as worse than any battle he'd ever fought in. <laughs> so, uh, And that was pretty much it for old Gimlet Eye, except for the part where he becomes the youngest major general in the history of the Marine Corps. Um <laughs> Yeah, he gets that major promotion afterwards, major general promotion, I should say. Uh, he also, um, you know, you got to be careful. You got to be nice to certain people, Dad. Um, Smith has an incident where maybe he's, uh, you know, talking around the dinner table about a little gossip, maybe, you know. Maybe there's a juicy story about a certain Italian dictator who uh, maybe hit a kid with his car <laughs> while he was driving, and it got... Uh, yeah, you cannot besmirch. This is Smed. All right, if you can hear me, wherever you are, Major General Smedley Butler, you should not besmirch the good name of Italian fascist dictator Benito Mussolini. So. <laughs> yeah, he had bad things to say. Well, um, he, he gets into a little beef with that. Actually, he insulted Benito Mussolini so bad that Italy actually wanted him court-martialed. The Italian government was putting pressure on Yeah, they were outraged that they were going to besmirch the... Uh so get a load of this one. I'm going to throw it to you for a second because you know loosely what we're going to talk about here as we're wrapping up. We are wrapping up. But um, it's important that we hit this one part of the story. Uh, the president at this time, post-Calvin Coolidge, all right, post his Philadelphia uh, you know, move, he's now back in the Marines, as we said. He gets in trouble with Benito Mussolini. He gets left with just a reprimand instead of a court-martial because they say we're not going to get rid of this American hero right. because this kind of douchebag over in Italy is uh, giving us a hard time. However... That was the Marines that saved him because his own president, current President Hoover, hated Smed Butler, hated him. Now, really? what, I, what I thought was interesting was you want to talk about hating an American hero. Um, these two have a beef that goes on for years. Where is Hoover during this Boxer Rebellion, Dad? Yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting uh, cross lap that I came upon. Uh, while Butler is uh, in China saving the uh, – the Americans in China. Uh, one of the Americans that uh, he was saving is our own future president, Herbert Hoover, um, and his wife. That Herbert Hoover was just recently married. He's actually on his honeymoon in China, where he <laughs> accepted a position with a, a mining company. Again, the, these are American business interests that were trying to, uh, you know, grab as much of the. Uh, uh, Chinese wealth, be it its actual money or mineral wealth or whatever. So they're over there, and uh, Herbert Hoover was one of the guys on the barricades, if you will, that he was he was an engineer by trade, and he's putting up the various barricades around this 
um, small section within China, within Beijing, that the uh, Marines were going to rescue from. So um, what the what the big beef was between these two guys, I'm not really sure. But, uh, you know, Herbert Hoover and then also um, uh, Secretary of State uh, Henry Stimson, uh, they were not friends of... Uh, they were not friends of Butler by any stretch of the imagination. No, not fans. And that, uh, that carries on here, too. So um, following the death of uh, Smedley's father, who, again, influential politician, uh, Smed wasn't quite as bulletproof politically as he had been before. So with Mussolini and Hoover both still pissed at him and his reputation in Philadelphia, combined with a couple other higher-up generals who uh, weren't big fans of his, Smed is denied another promotion, which would have been uh, putting him pretty much as the big swing and dick of the Marine Corps. And he finally requests in 1931 for his official retirement. So as we're wrapping up here. Um, yeah, another, another key point, too, that his powerful congression, congressman father died in 1928. So, um, you know, somebody always had Smedley's back, if you will, with his father, with the— uh, um, committee in, within Congress, but uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, his dad died, so uh, he's pretty much out there on his own. So any any political enemies that he's making, he's not going to be able to uh, soften the blow, if you will, by having his father's influence. Right, but he also, I mean, he's had a great run here. He requests retirement in 1931. Smed stays busy post Marines, and I promise we're wrapping up, Cahoons. I know, buddy. Um, no, I know we're good, buddy. But I, I also. Um, I don't want this to be Rogan. <laughs> um, Smed is uh, his post-Marine career is actually almost, in my opinion, where he gets the most fascinating. Because here is old Gimlet Eye, a blood and guts ass kicker from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. He's done a little bit of everything. He's been a warlord at times. He's been, uh, you know, domestic and foreign. Um, and he now starts to make his living uh, as a speaker. He's one of the most sought-after speakers on the entire American lecture circuit and donates a huge portion of his very lucrative pay from this um, to the Philadelphia Unemployment Funds. So still, the city that literally kicked him out, uh, he's still got a soft spot for him as a, as a Pennsylvania boy, and he's trying to make sure that the people of Pennsylvania, specifically Philadelphia, have a chance to at least experience some security. So He wants to make sure his people are taken care of. Exactly. He also uh, sort of accidentally, informally, creates the Oregon State Police. Uh, here's a wild one for you, too. We talk about, and the biggest thing I think we've taught listeners on the show, because I, I was taught this in my research of it, is that politics changes roughly every 30 years. The terms are variables, not constants. So uh, one thing I would like to point out here is that if you want to talk about a guy who's all over the map politically, um, Smed runs for senator, or at least explores running for senator as a Republican. Okay, however, uh, he would announced by a, a future American Loser episode will be done about this guy, uh, who was going to be running as a Democratic presidential hopeful to try to secure um, the nomination away from FDR. Um, and one thing that this guy did in order to galvanize, uh, you know, uh, support was to say, if uh, I am your nominee in my first 100 days. I will name as my Secretary of War, American hero, Smedley Butler. So he's, now this is guy is a running as a Republican senator, uh, also saying a Democratic presidential you know, uh, candidate is saying, well, that's going to be my Secretary of War. And then uh, also around the same time frame, Smed actually votes for a socialist as president. 
from the Socialist Party. So he kind of Smed does what Smed thinks is the right thing to do when At he does. Time. It. Yeah. He doesn't tell party lines. Probably why he was a shitty politician, and uh, probably why he, he didn't make uh, as many friends as he could have. Um, Butler does continue his feud, though, as you said, Dad, uh, with President Hoover through the Bonus Army. So. Uh, very, very briefly, <laughs> at the uh, as we approach the uh, yeah. let's see where we're at time Three wise hours here. Hours and forty five minutes. Hour thirty four. Right. So, um, the bonus army, as we've covered in other episodes, if you don't know, is uh, there was money that was owed to the veterans of the First World War. Right. Okay. And they were not given the money. And you're approaching Great Depression time period here. We're not that, approaching. You're, you're, in, you're, you're in it. Deep within it. Um, and you, these guys need this money, and the government's saying, "Well, we're not paying you." Right. At the at the conclusion of the First World War, the veterans were promised this bonus pay, but um, the government also said that they would have until 1945 to pay it out. Now here we are in the middle of the depression. You know, um, millions of people are out of work. Um, the dust bowl is going on in the Southwest. I mean, people are literally starving to death here. Um, then, and Hoover is the president, and a lot of these veterans form this bonus army that it's really a marching, it's one of the first marches on Washington that these um, former veterans are now going to march on Washington and demand their bonus pay now. Don't wait until, you know, I'm 1945. I could be dead by starvation by then. Yep. So they set out for Washington, D.C. to demand their bonus pay that was promised to them. And then uh, Smedley Butler joins in with them right before they arrive at Washington because it really went from one coast to the other, gathering forces as, as it went. Um, that was a huge uh, moral uplift for them to now have this uh, highly decorated uh, Marine general who's taking their side to help them demand their pay um, and arrives in, in Washington, D.C. Um, <clears throat> there's another loser reception uh, going on there because Hoover tries to do whatever he can to put down this demonstration, this march on Washington. Um, these guys set up camp just outside of Washington, D.C., and they um, referred to it as Hooverville, so that they had no other place to live, you know. And President Hoover, we're here because we're demanding on pay. So, you know, they were uh, nicknaming that Hoovervilles. And then uh, Hoover sends in first the, pol the, the D.C. police, and then secondly, he calls in the Army and a cavalry officer by the name of Kev. MacArthur. Yeah, <laughs> Douglas MacArthur is in charge of this cavalry command. Um, it's a shit show, this bonus army. And they they put down this uh, bonus uh, this bonus army and, and trampled this Hooverville that was that was created. And you know the, we went on with uh, with other stuff with that 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 whole thing was put down, but. Um, you know, that really led to uh, Hoover's ousting. And then with uh, the Depression goes on and on. And the people, you know, the, the country was in this depression. No money, no jobs for a number of years at this point. And then uh, um, the new Democratic nominee, FDR, Frank Franklin Delano Roosevelt, comes in and is elected president of the United States. And he starts this whole... Um, uh, 
New Deal legislation, that he enacts a lot of new legislation to help the people, you know, the, the working class stiff, the people that were thrown off their farms, taken out of their houses, uh, thrown out of their houses by the banks and stuff, um, and starts this whole legislation that was, you know, all right for the little guy, but highly controversial to who who's going to be actually funding these new deals. Right. Uh, now, one thing about FDR, too, that he's interesting, uh, some people call him a socialist, other people call him uh, uh, a communist, other people call him uh, a you know, straight-up American, right? And the interesting thing with FDR is that he was, let's try anything to see what works, right? There are diehard communists that hate FDR because they say that he bastardized communism by giving it capitalist, uh, uh, you know, thrills, if you will. Right, yeah. And then uh, there's other people who are saying that, well, he's the worst thing that ever happened to capitalism because he created, you know, a huge, huge part of the government. But FDR is kind of his own man. And he, you can't really claim FDR. Now, that's a thing that actually um, our boy Smed liked. Post-bonus army, um, Smed had a line, too, where he referred to himself as, because we talked about earlier that he voted for a socialist, but was liked by Democrats and Republicans both. Um, he referred to himself as a uh, get Hoover out of office Republican. So <laughs> <Right>. he hated <laughs> Hoover. Anybody but Hoover. Yeah. Right. So, uh, right. which there's a lot, you see that a lot with um, a lot of the candidates still. That there's uh, people who, the line is always, I didn't leave my party, my party left me kind of a thing. Right. So, and I think too, you, you, again, a lot of times when you look at this with uh, tunnel vision, uh, the depression, yeah, well, th we had certainly had a depression in the 30s here in this country, but this was a worldwide depression. It wasn't just something that was unique to the United States. This was a worldwide um, depression going on. And worldwide, you got a guy by the name of Benito Mussolini, who's a fascist in Italy, and he's stirring up trouble there. And we're trying to get that whole fascist thing going. So there was many people that were pop. And we've got uh, a guy with a funny little mustache called Adolf Hitler. Uh, I'm sorry, an artist. Uh, an, an artist. artist. Uh, wallpaper, That's... a paper hanger um, <laughs> uh, over in Germany that he's now creating the, uh, the Nazi party. You, you've had the Russian Revolution during the First World War, and they're going through all kinds of trials and tribulations with purges and everything else uh, in Russia. So, you know, communism is really not working too well either. So, do you know what do fascist so, means, by the way? The the breakdown of that. Teach me. Um, well, learn me some stuff. Fascist, uh, depending on which language you're breaking everything down from. Uh, it would be that uh, you can break one stick, but you cannot break a bundle of sticks. So it would have to be um, – it's weird that communism and fascism both have that kind of thing, that, that common bond of the, the people need to be united as one kind of a thing. Uh, when you're going to the bundle of sticks, I mean, are you taking that from an, an order of the arrow uh, induction ceremony? Well, also, <laughs> not for nothing, you know what a bundle of sticks also means in the English language, if you go back in time to that. Um, if you don't know what it means, I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. I guess we got some conversation for the ride on. It's, it's considered a pejorative for uh, the friends of ours, um, it, of the gay community. Oh, okay. So anyway, uh, the thing I wanted to, to, as we're wrapping up here, too, is um, Smed is still on the lecture circuit. Okay, I got two quotes of his I want to hit on here. What we're going to do, Des, we're going to do a little brief bonus episode on the business plot at another time. He's so, doing, he's touring, doing TED Talks at this point. TED Talks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's, uh, um, Am I wrong? No, you're pretty much right here. Uh, yeah, because Smedley Butler's story does not end with uh, 
Hooverville and and the, and the Bonus Army, but no, not at all. Just to clarify, there was only that one called Hooverville, right? Or was it a no, no? Hooverville's a term. It was just a term yeah. for like a shanty town, right? Exactly. That if you're thrown out of your house, you have no job, you have no <laughs> place to live. If you're homeless and you're living in a shanty town, that would be known as a Hooverville. Now that might be along a railroad siding, that might be under a bridge, you know, it could be anywhere, but. You killed Kahuna. Wow. Kahuna. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, guy. Please, I don't want to do mouth-to-mouth on you. <laughs> and, anymore. Um, Doctor say you're going to die. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. Uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, uh, Smed is uh, hot back on the lecture circuit, right? Uh, he's working hard. I thought this was an interesting feud that he had. He wants to bolster the numbers. There's now a beef between veterans organizations. So... Smed is all about the veterans of foreign wars. He thinks that's the organization to be a, a part of, you know. He is not big on the American Legion because he knows that the American Legion is getting uh, kind of bankrolled by uh, big money interests. So he's against that. Well, so, those big money yeah, influences into the American Legion. But again, I, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, so uh, now uh, he's got a, a, one of his talks that was attacked. Uh, he was very much against war profiteering. This is where his legacy comes in. This is what he's still known for. Uh, his comments landed in print in a, uh, a socialist newspaper known as Common Sense, um, which has the same name as Thomas Paine's uh, uh, revolutionary stuff, too. But this is in 1935. Here's a great quote. I thought this was awesome. I spent 33 years and four months in active military service, and during that period, I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and for the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster of capitalism. I helped make Mexico, and especially Tampico, safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National Citibank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers from 1902 to 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interests in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for American fruit companies in 1903. In China, in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil, which was owned by who? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rocky. Rockefeller. Went on its way unmolested. Uh, looking back on it, I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents. So, uh, as we will get into um, uh, one more thing here, uh, we, we will do that Business Plaza bonus episode next week, I think. Okay. Uh, Major General Smedley Darlington Butler passed big, away. Go ahead. Big swinging fucking Smedley. Oh, yeah. He's, he's letting you know on the way out. Just, Just right on the table. He really is the people's champ. Um, that, that's why I think this guy is uh, – uh, people are going to ask, well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll leave it for the last <clears> paragraph that I wrote here because I'm pretty – Pleased with what I wrote. Um, Smed dies June 21st, 1940, in the Philadelphia Naval Hospital. The cause of his death is now considered to have been cancer. He didn't. He wasn't ready to go. He just bought a brand new car, and he didn't get a chance to drive it yet. So his family actually gets the car brought uh, within view of his hospital window. So that's how he gets to see his last car that he bought. It's um, like you're going to ride it when you get out of here, Dad. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Um, a large, large funeral is held at his home. In attendance were many politicians, Philadelphia police officers, Smed's Marines, and many fond onlookers. 
why is this man a loser, we would ask, okay? Really hard to find anything loserish about him. Uh, well, the reason I'm going to classify him as an American loser is because we should be teaching about this guy in American history classes uh, in high schools, and we don't. He does not come up. Majority of the stuff that uh, gets – you'll hear about the Spanish-American War and Cuba, and then boom, it goes away. Cuba doesn't come back up in American history until JFK and the Cuban Missile Crisis. There's this entire chapter. Some of it's very ugly. Some of it's actually very good because a lot of quality of life gets improved uh, in a lot of these countries as well too. There's give and take with it. There's ebb and flow. You don't have to um, go Howard Zinn and just say that uh, America's evil and we're terrible people. But you also don't have to sit there and just go from a complete revisionist thing where we're G.I. Joe at all times. So there is something to be admired about Smedley Butler for every American of every possible opinion or position. All right, and I thought this was the most badass quote here that I do want to go out on. Uh, we're going to do that bonus episode for the business plot, which is a really cool sidetrack, um, but we're just out of time today. Dad, did you have anything else on the way out? No, we're good on that, Kev. Welcome back, Lawrence Patrick. I'm happy thank you're you. here. All right. Uh, Kahuna. <laughs> Maybe that's why we went extra long. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kahuna, thank you for your time. I do believe we're setting a record here. I think we're going to come in at about an hour 50 on this episode. Uh, I want this one available on uh, uh, Monday, uh, Memorial Day for you guys, so it's going to come out a day early. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank anybody who's uh, donating to our Patreon. The Rosenbergs, uh, American Spies, okay, um, uh, on American soil, actually, I should say. Um, the Enemy Within, one might call them. They will be this uh, this week's episode or this month's episode of the Patreon exclusive. A $5 donation gets you access to our RSS feed. Please enjoy that. Um, we're learning as we go. If you guys can help us out with anything on the Patreon or there's something that you're not happy with or confused by, please message me, KP Burke on Facebook, at KP Burke Sucks on Instagram. My Twitter, I deleted because I hate Twitter. Uh, American Loser Podcast on Instagram. We are continuing to grow the show. We have some cool stuff that we're working on that's been put on hold due to the coronavirus. We hope everybody's doing okay out there. Thank you for everybody who's supporting the Patreon. Anybody who's left us a review, thank you for that. If you're listening for the first time, check out our back catalog, guys. we got some killer shit on there. And I want to say thank you, of course, to Mike and Ming at a Shared Universe podcast studio, to the Kona behind the ones and twos. Always, to, man. To my Uncle Paulie, who made some sort of dinner tonight that I'm going to be late for. And uh, I'm going to leave you guys this. Here is a badass quote from the most decorated, uh, uh, one of the most decorated soldiers in uh, American history. Smedley Butler says, War is a racket. It is the only one international in scope. It is the only one in which the profits are reckoned in dollars and the losses in lives. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Smedley Butler, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born.